0: What is up, Nets world? We're back here on the Believe in Nets podcast on the Believe Podcast Network, your one-stop shop for everything happening across the sports and entertainment world. I'm your host, Eric Slater, Brooklyn Nets beat reporter for ClutchPoints.com, and we are recapping another Brooklyn Nets loss and a really frustrating one at that, 117-112 to the Phoenix Suns. That's Brooklyn's fourth straight. It's the first time since... The second week of the season in late October that the Nets have lost four straight, obviously all coming after Kevin Durant's MCL sprain in Miami. And this loss was frustrating for a number of reasons, but... You know, the first of which is just the lack of effort coming out of the gate in this game and lack of energy for a Nets team that's in desperate need of a win after dropping winnable games against the Thunder, against the Spurs, and with a tough upcoming slate ahead of this. The Nets really needed to grab this one against the uh, Suns team without their their best player in Devin Booker, without Chris Paul, and the Nets came out of the gate with no energy and uninspired, just lethargic effort, and that just can't happen. For a team that really needs to be firing on all cylinders or just giving your best effort without a player like Kevin Durant to have a shot against any team, if anything was evident after that loss at San Antonio, it was that the Nets need to give forth maximum effort and maximum focus to have a chance regardless of opponent. And they just didn't do that in this one. And it started with Kyrie Irvin, who obviously you all know it was a late comeback bid for the Nets after falling behind by 24 points. Kyrie Irving, you know, he, he explodes for 21 points on eight of 11 shooting in the fourth quarter. He wills this team all the way back. And, you know, that's, that's great to see the Nets got to within three points at the end of this one. And great to see, I mean, you want to see Kyrie get his shooting stroke going, but it's almost even more frustrating because when you watch the first half of this game, it's like everything that Kyrie was doing in the third quarter and into that fourth quarter, it's like, where was this in the first half? The twitchiness on his drives, the assertiveness, the calling for the ball, the pushing the pace, none of it was there in the first half. And it's just like – how do you come out not... I mean, he was missing shots, which doesn't help, obviously. It's, But it's like there was just a clear lack of engagement, a lack of energy. And I tweeted out during the game his body language during these struggles in the first half. I think he shot just two of ten at four points in the first half. His body language wasn't great. And I mean, Kyrie's not a vocal leader. That's not his role but it kind of needs to be a little bit with Kevin Durant sideline because Kevin Durant has been the one all season for this Nets team that has held people accountable on the floor. He's gotten people's faces, told them they need to do better during games. Even Kyrie Irving, he's said that too. And it's just, they don't have that guy. And you know, Even if you're not going to be that guy as Kyrie Irving who gets into someone's face or does the thing that KD does, at the very least, you got to look engaged. You have to have body language. You have to have that pep in your step and be a little spry because teams really, they take on the demeanor of their top player. And if you're a top guy in Kyrie Irving who's struggling, especially with Kevin Durant out, and your body language, your actions, your crispness just isn't there, that's going to permeate through the rest of the team. And that's what happened in that first half. The Nets allowed a Suns team without Devin Booker and Chris Paul to score 64 first-half points on 58.5% shooting. That's just the defensive effort, which a lot of which was attributed to the fact that the Nets are trying to switch and they're switching Seth Curry and Kyrie and other players onto DeAndre Ayton, which made no sense given the fact that the Suns' guards, their best guards were out. So I don't know why you're switching in that situation. They should have adjusted earlier, which they did in the second half. They went to a 3-2 zone. But on my point of just the Nets' lethargic energy, like I said, 64 first-half points, 59% shooting for Phoenix. Phoenix out-rebounded the Nets 20-9 to nine in the first half on their way to a 13-0 to second-chance points advantage the effort was just not there. And honestly, I, I attribute a large part of it to Kyrie Irving and just his body language and how he looked during that game. And it's even more frustrating because it shows that he can do it, obviously. I mean, look at what he did in the third quarter and the fourth quarter. It was just night and day in terms of his the pep in his step, his attitude, his demeanor, his assertiveness, all of it just completely transformed into the second half. And What's frustrating about that, you know, while nice to see that the Nets didn't get completely embarrassed, it's just frustrating because it's like in a game that you need after dropping two winnable games and with a tough upcoming schedule, why does it take you getting down by 24 points to have that, you know, burst of energy, to have something that just awakens this team? It shouldn't take getting down by 20 plus to a struggling Suns team that's also without their top two players to get you to play hard. I mean, that's just completely ridiculous. And I'm going to get into the rest of, you know, what happened in this loss. But that point about that lack of energy coming out of the gate is really, it's alarming to me for a number of reasons. The the top of which is that Kevin Durant spoke about his trade request that media day. I tweeted this out also. He spoke about why he requested a trade. And the thing he alluded to was the Nets' fight during an 11-game losing streak when he was injured last season and he said the nets didn't have the fight that he wanted he didn't like the way that people were going about their business and that led him to reevaluate everything and it's a long sound bite but i think it's important so i'm going to play it for you right now you know when i went out with the injury um we lost 10 in a row and i'm like we shouldn't be losing some of these games that we lost regardless of who on the floor so I was more so worried about how we're approaching every day as a basketball team. And I felt like we could have fought through a lot of the stuff that I felt that held us back. And championship teams do that. You've seen that Steph Curry and the Warriors, he was injured going into the playoffs. Their team still, you know, fought and won games. Luka, he was hurt. Their team still fought and won games. And I felt like we had enough talent to do that. And that's what was, you know, rose some doubt up in my mind is that When adversity hit, can we keep pushing through it? So you hear Durant there. He says we shouldn't be losing some of these games that we're losing. And you look at the Nets right now. Lost to Oklahoma City. Not a good team. Lost to the Spurs, the worst team in the league. And now they lose to a struggling Suns team without their top two players. And it's unbelievable the drop-off from where they were with Durant to without Durant. I tweeted this out also. If we're talking about most valuable players, Kevin Durant is the most valuable player in the league, literally. If we're just going by the definition, I mean, he's not going to win it because of this injury and Nikola Jokic is just playing like a mutant right now. But if we're talking about most valuable player, the Nets were literally one of the best teams in the league, won 18-20 of 20 leading up to that KD injury. And then he goes down and they look completely lost. So we're talking MVP. KD's the MVP. There's no doubt about that. But just getting back to what I was talking about, I mean, when you're looking at where this next team is at and they're dropping these games, like I just said, the last three losses, and Kevin Durant has those comments about after last season, I you know, didn't like the way we're competing. I didn't like the way that we're losing games that we should be winning. These other teams, like the Warriors with Steph, the Dallas with Luka, these teams are fighting and winning games. I thought we could have done that, but we're not. I mean, Kevin Durant's at home watching this right now. What's he thinking? I mean that—that's what when I'm watching this game, that's where my head is going. Is Kevin Durant said that he didn't like how it went down last season when he's out, and it's you're seeing the script play out eerily similar. So where does that leave Katie's head? at? you know, it, it's it's a important and interesting thing to ponder, and I think that. You know, while there are no moral victories in this game without Devin Booker and Chris Paul playing for Phoenix, I thought that it was really, really important that the Nets showed some fight late and that they came back and actually had a chance to win and didn't just get flat out embarrassed because of what I just said with everything about Kevin Durant. Because the Nets really need to stop this bleeding. And, you know, this, the script leading up to this was a little bit different because I do think that the Nets looked like a far better team this year leading up to KB's injury as opposed to last year. And I just think that they're a better team overall given their improved depth, given the fact that Kyrie Irving's full time. We I mean, have talked about this. You look at the guys that they were playing at points um, during Kevin Durant's injury last season, they're relying on guys like Kessler Edwards, Patty Mills, uh, DeAndre Bembry, Dayron Sharp. I mean, LaMarcus Aldridge, Blake Griffin, just a bunch of guys who are not in NBA rotations this year. Um, and, you know, you look at the Nets team this season, and while they might not be performing up to standards right now, you do have a Ben Simmons, a Royce O'Neill, a Utah Watanabe, a TJ Warren. You have a healthy Joe Harris. You have Seth Curry. You know, it, it's, it's much different. And you also don't have a James Harden who already has his foot out the door and planted firmly into strip clubs along the West coast. So, you know, it's, it's frustrating. It's frustrating with where this Nets team is at and where it could leave Kevin Durant's head at. And just continuing on the theme of Irving, you know, We've seen throughout Kyrie Irving's career when he's had to be relied on as a number one, it hasn't gone well. It was a disaster in Boston, and at points when the Nets have needed him to step up without Kevin Durant, it hasn't happened for the majority of the time. But he had some hope that with a full-time status and with Irving – performing extremely well, like one of the best guards in the NBA since coming back from that early season suspension. And also staying out of the headlines and keeping the focus on basketball during that time, you had hope that he could really turn it on and play well and do all those things. And, you know, he obviously can, because we saw what he did in that fourth quarter and everybody knows what kind of a talent he is. But for me, like I said earlier, it's really just about the leadership of Kyrie. I mean, when he's out on the floor, Without Kevin Durant, especially, it's accentuated because Katie's just been that guy. But he just—he doesn't look like a leader. I mean, he—he's not doing the things that you need him to do to get these other guys to play at the level that you need them to. And I mean, I, some of that might be, you know, inherently linked to the fact that he's an ISO heavy player. He's not always getting his teammates involved. But I'm not even talking about that. I'm just talking about the body language. I'm just talking about the the demeanor that you have on the floor. And I get it that you're not a vocal guy, but at some point, man, you got to step up and be a leader. You got at some point in dire situations like this, when KD's out and the Nets really need you, you might need for a short period to become something that you're not. And that might be getting a little vocal on the court, calling some guys out. You know, I know it's tough to do when you're not playing well yourself, but if even if you're not shooting well if you are you know running around the floor if you're making plays if you're putting forth that effort if you're you're you know just activity out there and engagement level is apparent to everyone regardless of how you're shooting as the top player on the team people are going to take to that and it's just going to raise the effort level and everything that the team is looking to do and Kyrie didn't do it until very late in this game and that's almost even more frustrating because it illustrates that he can do it so it's just It was good to see the stroke get going late because the Nets aren't, they're only going to go as far as Kyrie takes them in this Durantless stretch. And it was nice to see him actually hit some shots and look like the Kyrie that we saw for that extended period prior to Durant's injury. But you just need it from the jump and you just need him to take on some sort of a leadership role because this team just doesn't have it. Okay, I'm going to get into some of the other Nets now. I got to talk about Ben Simmons next because Ben Simmons obviously was ejected. And this was a disappointing performance for Ben Simmons. He played 18 minutes leading up to the third quarter, you know, came out of the gate again, very aggressive. And I think that it's a positive sign. And I keep saying this over and over again, which is almost getting frustrated that it's a positive sign that Ben Simmons comes out and is aggressive. And I, I think, it You know, I, I'm about to negate that, but I think it actually was today because the aggressiveness was almost even like a different level. Like we saw Ben come out of the short roll with Kyrie, take a pass and go in and try to posterize um, Dario Saric it was. We saw him drive into the lane into Bismack Beyond, but We got blocked. We tried to dunk on him. I mean, we were seeing him go to the basket and try to dunk on people and that's a positive sign because that's not something that we've really seen in terms of his level of aggressiveness. So that was good to see. But where I'm going to go back on that is I keep saying this every game. I said it against San Antonio. I've said it against a bunch of teams earlier in the season. Ben Simmons, first few possessions going hard to the hoop coming out strong. That's great. But what is he doing in the second half? And I've said this on my last episode. I think it was, would Jock Vaughn post a question? He was talking about the next step in Ben Simmons's development. He was talking about the game in New Orleans. Ben went hard to the basket the first two times, but can you do it at the 18-minute mark? Can you do it at the 24-minute mark? Can you do it at the 40-minute mark? And the answer this season has been a resounding no for Ben Simmons. I put together a whole Twitter thread about his struggles in the last seven minutes of the loss at San Antonio on Tuesday, which you know before which I thought he played decently well but in that last seven minutes he did not attempt a shot he was the only player of the next closing group to not attempt a shot and his demeanor and his impact just completely faded he turned the ball over two or three times made another couple bad passes and it was just on all these possessions he didn't even look towards the basket and he didn't even get to the fourth quarter in this one because he got ejected but it's just the theme of his impact the correlation between games progressing and Ben Simmons's impact declining is just, it couldn't be more evident. And obviously this one was because in the third quarter, he picked up his fifth foul, which is like every game. This guy is in foul trouble every game. And what's so frustrating about it is every game when he's got four or five fouls, at least two of them, sometimes three of them are just dumb and unnecessary fouls. And it's something that Jock Vaughn has talked about. And it's something that has plagued Simmons with the Nets all season is these dumb fouls. A lot of them come after rebounds with Ben just reaching in or after a missed shot with him just trying to reach in the backcourt, those stupid fouls. And then a ton of them come on illegal screens where it's like, Ben, we're... 43 games into the season or whatever we are. You got to learn how to set a screen, man. Like it's enough at this point with the moving screens with Ben, you know, trying to set the screen then either shuffling two steps as someone's curling off of it or him sticking his hip out. Like it's going to get called for an illegal screen. And it's frustrating because, He picks up his fifth foul in the third quarter with eight minutes left in the third quarter, which just can't happen. It's a clear legal screen. It's night and day. It's obvious that he's moving. And then he goes to the bench and he argues with the ref on the way to the bench after it was clearly a foul and picks up his second tech and gets thrown out of the game. And as a guy who, even if the impact, as I said, hasn't been there, You're still supposed to be one of the best players on the team, especially with Kevin Durant's sideline. And you getting thrown out after you picked up a dumb fifth foul, which you continuously do all season, is just absolutely ridiculous and absolutely unacceptable on so many levels. So not a good performance by Ben Simmons and just a continuation of dumb fouls, other issues, and just an overall theme of his fading impact into the second half of these games. So moving on through the starting five, Joe Harris, really positive night for Joe Harris after he was in a significant shooting slump, 16 points, six of six from the field, four of four from three. The first two next possessions of the games were made, Joe threes. So, you know, usage still isn't crazy high, but just to see Joe go six of six and four of four from three and put up 16 points is just a real positive sign because he's a guy that the Nets are going to need to get going. And they really need, I think, it was nice to see them him get two early looks on the first two possessions of the game because I said it in San Antonio when Joe went scoreless, he wasn't involved at all early in the game. He didn't take a shot in the first half. And we've seen it with Joe. This is a guy that you know you need to provide something significant offensively with KD out. And Joe always plays better when he gets some touches early on. So I think part of that's on him. He needs to hunt some of his looks a little bit more and he needs to be a little more aggressive, maybe about getting open. But at the end of the day, this isn't a guy who initiates offense. He's not a guy who has the ball in his hands and creates for himself. So you need to call some plays for him. You need to get him involved early. And I thought it was a really positive sign that they did and that he hit those shots. And I think that they need to continue that if they're going to have any chance of building a sustainable offense, during this period with Kevin Durant out, because right now they're last in the, they were 30th out of 30 in offensive rating in the four games with Kevin Durant out. And I think Joe Harris getting going and actually getting some looks for him early and ramping up that usage is going to be a big part of getting through that. So it was nice to see him this one Royce O'Neal next, you know, it's tough with Royce. It, he's very, very inconsistent. And I think that's just illustrated. If you look at his game log this season, I mean, Prior to that Chicago game, everybody remembers that notorious Chicago loss where he went 0 of 8 from 3 and missed two wide-open huge looks down the stretch. And he caught a lot of flack for that. But I looked at his stats leading up to that, and I was like, you know what? Royce had a really bad night, about as bad a night as you're ever going to have. But if you looked at it, he was shooting 61% over a 8-game stretch leading up to that. 61% from 3. Over an eight game stretch. He shot 47.4% from three in the month of December when the Nets were extremely hot. So I I let Royce off the hook for his struggles in that loss. He came back, he had a good game against New Orleans, where he was five of eight, four of seven from three, hit some big shots down the stretch. And since then, he's just been really bad all around you know there's been nothing impactful about his game whether you're talking about his drives to the basket his three-point shooting his defense it's all been bad and that's illustrated in his numbers for the month you know outside of that game against new orleans but even if you count it, if you look at his game log he's shooting 32 percent from the field and 27 percent from three during the last eight games so you know it's it's not good and the inconsistency with Royce is what really makes it tough to, you know, lean on him. Because, you know, if you're talking about the Nets getting into the playoffs, you're, you're going to have some games where Royce is, you know, they need him to hit shots, and you're going to have some games like tonight where he's one of five, one of four, o of seven. You know, it, it's going to happen because he's not a guy who comes out and hits shots every night. And I think it's a little, you know, deceiving this season because I do think. He's shooting a decent. He's shooting over forty percent from three on five point six attempts per game. That's the best of his career. But when Royce puts up a three, you're not. You don't have a the confidence level of a forty percent shooter. Just watching him when that three goes up, and it's because his shooting is so streaky and it comes in such stretches, and that's really tough because you know, if the Nets aren't getting a good stretch during the playoffs, it's going to really hurt them because he's a guy that the Nets need to hit shots. And once again, he didn't do it tonight. He had four points. He was one of seven from the field, one of five from three, and his defense really wasn't good. And, you know, it, it hasn't been good. He got torched by Keldon Johnson down the stretch of that game in San Antonio for, I think eight points in the last seven, six minutes of the game. And it was just really rough. So Not a good game for Royce O'Neal. Getting to Nick Claxton, you know, a wonder wheel of a game for Nick Claxton in this one. He had 20 points. He was 9 of 12 from the field. Grabbed 11 rebounds, all of which might have come in the second half. Had three steals, one three assists, one steal, three blocks. So... Nick Claxton made an obvious impact when the Nets were mounting their comeback in the third and fourth quarters. He was everywhere defensively with them in a little bit of a 3-2 matchup zone. He was getting out to the corners. He was coming back in to match up with DeAndre Ayton. He was blocking shots. He was snaring rebounds. He was doing everything. And it was great. And then the Nets are trying to make a comeback. They're down by four five, six points, something like that. I think with a minute and five left to go and a broken possession, the ball gets to Nick Claxton in the corner and he, he grabs the ball. He's wide open. He looks up towards the rim. He starts to move his hands up and I'm like, he's not really going to do this. Is he? He's not really going to hoist up a quarter three right now, is he? Nick Claxton's been so good this season. He's smarter than that with 12 seconds left on the shot clock, that that's the shot the Nets are going to take on a critical possession late in this game. And, you know, little did I know, Nick Claxton jacks up a three, as you would expect. It hits, hits absolutely nothing except the Suns defender's hands when he grabs the rebound off the air ball, and it just – it was a bad possession and it was really just a head scratching moment. And then the Nets have it cut to three points with about six or seven seconds remaining. Mikael Bridges misses the second free throw, a gift. The Nets, you think they're going to have a chance to grab this board, go down and jack up a three. And Monty Williams, being the coach of perennial coach of the year candidate that he is smartly tells his guys as soon as Nick Claxton grabs his rebound, foul this guy. So as soon as he grabs it, the Suns foul him. Of course, he misses the first free throw. He tries to intentionally miss the second free throw, and he doesn't hit the rim. And, you know, some people are saying, I don't know, it didn't look like he knew that you had to hit the rim. I would really, really hope that he knew that you had to hit the rim, but I don't know. And Reggie Miller's on the broadcast talking about it, and he's like, Nick he's like he tries to intentionally miss it nick you're a 40 some percent free uh, free throw shooter you just try to shoot it normal you're going to miss anyway why are you trying to intentionally miss it which was painfully hilarious for nets fans in the moment but he misses everything and i thought that that was significant because i i tweeted it out right when it happened that's a little preview of Potential serious problems come playoff time for the Nets because Nick Claxton is an extremely impactful player. And whether people want to like, whether people want to agree with it or not. Ben Simmons is a very impactful player for this Nets team. There's been a little bit of a renaissance of the simmons claxton lineups as of late after some really egregious struggles early in the season. And when it comes playoff time, when you get into these moments down the stretch of games and the Nets are going to need the size of Nick Claxton and or Ben Simmons you know, to rebound, to play defense, to do all this stuff in their switch-everything scheme, it's going to be really tough to have one of them, let alone both of them. There's no shot. That you can have both of them on the floor in these moments at the end of a playoff game, let alone one of them because teams are just going to go to the intentional fouls. And these guys are not even decent free throw shooters at this point and don't have the confidence to knock down these shots. So it's it's a reason why. I on, It's honestly one of the top reasons that I think the Nets are going to have to seriously look to upgrade on the trade market. We already got the notification from Woj that they're going to be very active ahead of the deadline. And we all know that Woj's information comes from Sean Marks. So I do expect them to. And I think it's the top reason that they're going to need to add significant size. They said it in the, um, they said it in the Woj update that the Nets are looking for help, particularly in the front court, and that's because you're not going to be able to have both of these guys. You know, it's going to be even tough to have one on the court at the end of playoff games. You're going to need somebody who could hit free throws and hit shots and add something to the offense while being able to add some rebounding presence, some switching on defense, which these guys just can't given their limitations offensively and more importantly at the free throw line right now. So. You know, a good game for Nick Claxton that really just turned into a little bit of a circus and clown show down the stretch. But, you know, Claxton's been one of the best nets this season and honestly has taken a leap that I don't think anybody could have expected to the level that it's it's happened at. So, you know, a good game for Nick Claxton, but an unfortunate ending. Uh, going to the bench, um, it was a weird game from the bench. The only really significant bench player was Seth Curry. He played 36 minutes, was... 16 points, 6 to 10 from the field, 4 of 5 from 3, 2 rebounds, 2 assists, 1 steal. Seth was good offensively, which was nice to see after he struggled in San Antonio in some recent games. Hit a really huge pull-up 3 down the stretch, provided something for the Nets in the first quarter. But his defense, especially in the second half with the, the Nets trying to mount a comeback, was really bad. The Nets had cut it to 12 in the um run a twenty four to four run or something, I'd cut it to twelve in the third quarter. And Seth, you know, he missed a shot and then on the other end, he um gives up a layup. Then he turns the ball over. The sun score. Then on the next possession, he fouled somebody with them in the bonus. So it was like a 7-0 run that pushed the lead from 12, the deficit from 12 back to 19. it was all attributed to Seth Curry. There was a play at the end of the game where they needed to stop down the stretch and he fouled. And the guy went to the line, hit both free throws. I think it was saving Lee. So it's really tough with Seth Curry. And I I talked about this right when the injury to KD happened. That It's a balancing act with Seth right now because you're going to need his offense. And the reason that his minutes were scaled back so much prior to Durant's injury were his defensive limitations alongside Kyrie Irving and how difficult that is with the Nets and their switch everything scheme. But you don't have that luxury not to play him. You really are just forced into playing him right now because you need his offense. And you really need to just hope that his offense uh, what he can provide offensively outweighs his limitations on defense. And it was evident in this game defensively because the Nets, for some reason, like I said earlier, are switching him on to DeAndre Ayton when the Suns guards are their backups who aren't that good. They're switching Seth Curry onto DeAndre Ayton and giving him an advantage, and he torched them early on in this game. So the defensive limitations are evident there. He did provide something offensively and hit a big shot late in this game. So, He was a plus one for the night. So I'm going to say his impact there was pretty much even. So that was nice to see. Um, But it's going to continue to really just be, can Seth Curry get hot? And can he outweigh, you know, how he's hurting the team defensively? So outside of Seth, the next most significant bench player, I'd say, was Cam Thomas played 13 minutes, 15 points in 13 minutes, six of 11 from the field, 0 of two from three, no rebounds, no assists. You know, Cam provided a scoring lift. He did it primarily in the first half, and it was nice to see. You know he can fill it up. And similar to the San Antonio game, though – his three-point shot continues to limit the offense because everything on the floor is just a little bit condensed when he doesn't have the ball. So it's tough to play him alongside like a guy like Kyrie Irving because when Kyrie has the ball, Cam really doesn't garner respect as a pacer because he's just a really poor three-point shooter. So that's tough, and I talked about it during the San Antonio game on Tuesday. The best way to play Cam in my opinion, you know, you you may not have an option because you might just need to throw him in there to get any sort of offense, which happens you know, more often than you would like with this Nets team right now, minus Durant. But optimally, the best way to play him is just play him in spurts when Kyrie Irving's resting, give him the ball, allow him to just run the offense, allow him to go to work in short bursts because he's not a good three-point shooter. He's not a good off-ball player. He's an awful defender. So really just if you want to accentuate his best skill, it's just giving him the ball for those stretches and letting him go to work, which the Nets did in the first half. But as I have said, he can't shoot. At all, really from three right now. And his defensive positioning, his defensive IQ, his understandings of rotations is just awful. It's really bad. So that makes him, you know, another tough guy to have on the floor. Uh, moving on to the bench, Utah Watanabe played 16 minutes, scored one point, oh of one from the field, um, two rebound or three rebounds, no assists, two steals. I thought, you know, Utah did something defensively in this game, but again, A very limited performance, didn't really provide much, and another guy who is just going to struggle without KD out there because so much of what he did was just based off of KD garnering double teams, the Nets working into quick passes, the ball making it to him in the corner, and it's just not happening right now. Also, the Nets pushing the pace, which they didn't do nearly enough in this game because they weren't getting any stops in the first half, so they can't push the pace, and that's a big thing. What we saw Utah do was run the floor, either get layups or hit threes in transition it's just not happening right now they haven't pushed the pace nearly enough because the defense hasn't been good enough and he's just not getting the same looks in the half court that he was and that's you know evident in his one shot attempt so i mean not a bad or terrible game from utah but again just not really much of an impact tj warren only played eight minutes in this one very surprisingly um he picked up three fouls early. Jock Vaughn talked about it post-game. And Jock Vaughn just said he made a decision to roll with some other guys, maybe trying to get TJ a little rest there with how much he had to do in San Antonio. And we know working off of not playing for two seasons, his legs obviously still aren't fully there yet. But eight minutes, three points, one of three from the field, um, one rebound. That was that was it. So really limited performance for TJ. And you just hope that you know maybe. The Nets were a little bit gassed in the fourth quarter of this one with all the energy they had to try to expend to come back from a 24-point hole. So guys are going to be a little tomorrow. They're playing in Utah, and maybe TJ, having only played eight minutes, is going to be leaned on a lot heavier, which you know you think would be the logical route to go. So hopefully that could be the case Um Closing it out with Markeith Morris, played six points, didn't score, 0 of 1 from the field, just not really providing anything. The biggest thing that he's done during this Durant, this stretch is try to fight uh, Jeremy Sohan and San Antonio. That's really his only contribution. So, yeah, you know, 0 of 1 from 3, only played six minutes. Defensively, he's extremely limited in his athleticism and what he can do out there. So, you know, just not really having an impact. And then De'Ron Sharp played four minutes, didn't post any stats, so just really putting him in there after Simmons was hurt and didn't really provide much. So, you know, that really is about – that about sums it up. You know, the Nets are on a four-game losing streak now. Obviously, everything that I said about Durant's viewpoints of his comments about what led up to the trade request, it's nice to see that the Nets fought back in this one and didn't get completely embarrassed, but I'm not taking a moral victory in a game against a struggling Suns team that have dropped 9 of 10 coming into this one and was missing – Devin Booker and Chris Paul, you know, it's still a really tough development for the Nets to lose. And now they got to go play in Utah the next game on a back to back. And then they got to go to Golden State. And then they got to come uh, back to the East Coast and play at Philly. So it's a really tough stretch. And I think it's going to tell a lot about this team because I wrote that they are positioned better this season than last season to survive a Durant injury. And, you know, while that's not looking good and it's maybe not as well as I had thought they would be. They still do have a much-improved supporting cast with Ben Simmons, with uh, Royce O'Neal, with getting Joe Harris back, with Utah Wadnabe, with TJ Warren, with all these guys. Most importantly, with a full-time Kyrie Irving. So if Kyrie can carry this over and you improve upon his fourth quarter and actually have some urgency and lead these guys early in these next few games, I think they do have a shot to at least compete. They should have a shot to beat Utah. So we'll see. And... You know, it, it's gut check time for the Nets. And I think it's Durant's, he is watching, obviously. And I think he's really going to be seeing how this team responds and can they provide anything. And I think that that's a significant storyline to watch, given his comments about what led up to his trade request when he was speaking about it that media day. That does it for this episode of Believe in Nets. You can follow me on Twitter at Eric Slater underscore for news updates analysis on everything Nets. You can also follow me on TikTok. Just started a TikTok at Eric Slater NBA. Get on there. We're going to be posting highlights and a lot of different clips about the Nets. You can find all my articles on clutchpoints.com. That does it for Believe in Nets here on the Believe Podcast Network. Hopefully the Nets will get back to some winning ways some way, somehow. And I'll talk to you guys soon.